This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and uh, welcome to The Garden Show. It's another gorgeous, gorgeous day here in Prince Edward County. I'm broadcasting from my home office, blue sky, not a cloud. Now, this is becoming a bit challenging when it comes to gardening because we haven't really had any rain whatsoever here uh, since July that I can recall. So I know most of you got at least a a bit of a deluge last weekend, and certainly I know northern... Northern New York and New York City got inundated with tons of water and it all just blew right over top of me. So no water here in the county. And I'm sure the farmers are, are struggling because of that. Uh, irrigation becomes so important here. Uh, it, July and August tend to be such dry months, but now we're into September. So I am expecting to see something fall from the sky sometime soon. So listen, uh, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what's going on at your place. Questions? tips, tricks, new techniques, anything you'd like to share with me, with all our listeners, uh, what's going on. I'd like to hear about how your harvest is going. I know it's been a bumper, bumper year for so many tomato growers, particularly. So here's the numbers. If you're in the local calling area, it's 416-360-0740. Or if you're outside the local calling area, it's 866 740 four seven four zero so give us a call i am sharing sorry i was gonna say sharing i am speaking to you via skype and i think um carlos and i may have to uh get a little bit we might get to have to get carlos on the air to tell me who's calling in because at this point i'm not getting a, a screen share with him that i supposedly should be getting but um so we might have to get carlos we'll, we'll give us another try during our first break but um, I, I'm joking, but I, I almost started a pick-your-own-tomato uh, operation in my backyard. I've got so many little tomatoes. They're called Topsy Tom, I believe. I should check that. I'm pretty sure they're Topsy Toms. They're, they're tomatoes that were selected for those upside-down tomato planters. So they're, they're very vining. Uh, they don't stand upright. They, they are like a ground-cover tomato, if you will. But um, each plant has ended up being easily a meter across and only obviously a a few inches high. But uh, because I did not plant them in the upside down planters, they're planted in a raised garden bed. So of course they've covered the bed going down the sides, but each plant, I bet you four, 500 tomatoes on each plant, like so many. And I planted four plants. So uh, I do have neighbors who are swinging by with their grandchildren and people to uh, to pick because it's like, bring a basket. You can pick as much as you want. There's so much there. So a really, really good year for tomatoes. Uh, all the sunshine, all the warmth has is just been excellent. Um, peppers as well, eggplants, 
just a, a bumper year for all those uh, those crops. So let us know what's going on. Um, also remember Labor Day this weekend and the long weekend, of course, and then school starts. So I am back at school uh, next Friday. So my first class will be next Friday with my first year students. This is at Durham College that I teach in the horticulture technician program. So first year students, you know, first class, it's always kind of fun. The class is called Horticultural Principles and Sustainable Practices. So it's a it's a course. It's a very big course. It covers everything to do with horticulture, but in a very broad way. And then other classes, they really zero in on things like, you know, pathology or propagation or or, uh, you know, plant uh, details. But I I'm introducing a lot of horticulture to a lot of first year students. And it's a, like I say, it's depending on the class. It's a pretty fun, pretty fun class. So um, I'm looking forward to that. That's a three hour lecture next Friday morning. And then we do some labs Friday afternoon on campus. So it's what they call a hybrid uh, situation in, in the colleges, virtual lectures, um, in-person labs. But of course, it's, it's great about horticulture is the labs are outside. So we do get we get some fresh air. We get to actually meet each other, which is great. So we will uh, for now, let's take a short little break from each other. But don't go anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right back after this, uh, after these important messages. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right. It's me, Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. This is The Garden Show, and I am broadcasting live via Skype from my home office in Prince Edward County. And Carlos tells me we have Joan on the line calling in from Burlington. Good morning, Joan. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm, I'm not too bad. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to know what is the best time and how best to trim a magnolia tree to give it good shape. Hmm. What I would do, if you can, is wait until after it flowers next spring. Mm-hmm. That way you maximize seeing the flowers uh, and and also you can study it when it's flowering and think about what you're going to be trimming. Okay. Magnolias do grow much fat. Once they're established, they really grow quite quickly and can be quite a, a, a big overpowering plant, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if planted too close to other plants or the house or something like that. So, um, so yeah, do really study the, the skeleton, the framework of the plant over the winter when there's no leaves on it. Think about what, because you may have to take off some fairly large limbs and get it back to its net. Its proper form should be like a the shape of a, the letter V or a vase. Mm-hmm. So it's narrow at the bottom, obviously wider at the top. You don't want branches crisscrossing, damaging each other. Uh, you don't want growth into the center of the plant. You want your growth to the outside of the plant. Mm-hmm. So uh, do all that on a nice dry day with sharp pruners or sharp loppers next spring. And, um, yeah, and, and remember, you know, if it's a really healthy plant, you can take off as much as a, as a half of the plant if you have to in the spring, but mm-hmm. don't do more than, than a half. A third is our rule of, you know, sort of rule of thumb, but uh, with something very vigorous like a, like a magnolia, you can do as much as a half. And also keep an eye out for any uh, insects. Magnolia gets an insect called scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll know you've got scale if you've got sticky 
stuff on the ground beneath your magnolia, on the patio or whatever's beneath the magnolia, mm -hmm. and you will get black sooty mold growing in the sticky stuff. And if you do have that, those symptoms, you have an insect called magnolia scale. And believe it or not, now or very – like now really is the right time to be pulling out some horticultural oil with the intention of uh, annihilating whatever you can or a pressure washer, believe it or not. You can pressure wash the scale off at this time of year. Really? Well. Oh, wow. <laughs> off the bark, right? You'll find them on the, on the bark, on the trunk, and the big branches. Mm, I see. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. That's so helpful. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. And we, uh, Carlos tells me that we have Maxine on the line. And Maxine, where are you calling from? I'm in Attica, New York. Oh, right. Okay. Nice to hear from you. Um, I have some tomato plants that were pad planted in pots on my deck. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's still a lot of green tomatoes. Haven't gotten a whole lot of red ones. But once they're starting to turn red, they get the, the black rot spots on the mm -hmm. bottom um, I, I was wondering if I if it would be alright to like pick all the green ones and just let them turn red or hmm. what hmm. so the reason you get the black mushiness on the bottom of the tomato and it is a bit challenging to grow tomatoes in pots uh, so the reason that happens is because of inconsistent watering. So from the beginning, when those plants were planted back in May or June, there must have been times where they went for a couple of days without water or a couple of hours without water, depending on the size of the pot, and then they got thoroughly watered. And we end up, when that happens, with something called blossom end rot, so the black underneath. So that's just something to, to be aware of for the future. To pick them green, you can... You can make them turn red uh, by, and this actually works, in, if you do decide to pick them green, but what I'd be more inclined to do is I wouldn't pick them green because it's only still early September. I would take some leaves off, expose, not a lot of leaves, but slowly over the next week or so, slowly but surely expose the tomatoes to the sun. Once they're, they're getting a little more sun on them by leaf removal, you'll, they'll start to redden up a little faster and stay on top of the watering. If, if, like I think I mentioned last week, I have four tomatoes in four. Each one is in a 20-gallon pot. So that's a pot that measures about 20 inches inches wide by about 24 inches tall and uh i water them every single day with anywhere from three to five gallons of water uh, and of course there's drainage holes so there's no issues but with uh, water piling up but i also um have never had the water drain out the bottom of the pots yet so the tomatoes are they like their their food that you know nutrients and they like their water and they like their sun so that's why they do need that watering but yeah if you decide you want to pick them green each one, it needs to be wrapped. What I do is I, I wrap each one individually in newspaper, just loosely in newspaper, and they will start to turn red when they're inside the newspaper. As soon as you get a little bit of red started, you put them on a window ledge and continue on with the reddening. They won't just turn red sitting out on the counter. You'll have to start them in a paper bag or <clears throat> with a, with an apple, something else that's going to force the, uh, the coloring to happen, the red to happen. Uh, there's also on my website a pretty fun recipe for strawberry jam made with green tomatoes. So that's an option, too. That's interesting. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> Just, you're interested. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for calling. Mm -hmm. uh, 
think that what we'll do is I, I see we've got Warner on the line. Looking forward to talking to Warner. He's going to obviously, I hope, give us an update on, on his tomato crop this year. He is the author of another recipe on my website, and that's that one with the powdered skim milk and the uh, Epsom salts, et cetera, for feeding tomatoes for maximum, uh, maximum harvest. But we'll be right back to talk to Warner right after these important messages. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yep, it's me. It's The Garden Show. I'm Charlie Dobbin. I'm broadcasting live from my home office via Skype. And uh, you'll notice I'm doing this alone, just like I did last week's show alone. So this is a kind of a new world order when it comes to the garden show. But hopefully this won't be permanent. Um, I will be bringing in the odd guest just to shake things up as well uh, when I'm back in the studio, which I plan to be back in the studio once I'm back consistently teaching in Whitby for, at uh, Durham College. So if you'd like to, to jump in with some, some of your uh, questions or your tips or your techniques, you know the numbers. The local number is 416-360-0740 or outside the local calling area, 866-740-4740. All right. We have Warner on the line. Good morning, Warner. Good, good morning, Charlie. How are you? I'm fine. How about you? I'm excellent. How's your tomato crop this year? Hey. Excellent as usual. <laughs> as always. <laughs> no problem. No no black rot, nothing. No, it's but your tomatoes are all on the ground, juicy. right? Eh? Your tomatoes are all planted in the ground, are they not? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now it's a little it's I think it's a little easier to grow tomatoes in the ground than it is in pots. Pots you just need more consistent watering. Yeah. Yeah. Now so, Charlie. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes. I plant leeks every year, and mm -hmm. this year they invested by some little worms inside. Mm. How can I prevent that? Uh, you, you, you can't plant leeks there ever again. You no. have to move them. Move yeah, those, um, I'm just trying to remember what those are called. Maggots. Those are onion. I think they're called yeah. onion maggots. Yeah, yeah, way back in the day, like a long time ago, 30 plus years ago, uh, at the garden centers, you could buy... Um, insecticide, powdered insecticide that you would use, uh, that you would um, dust onto your onions or leeks before you planted them in the spring to protect them from those little, they're like maggots, right? They, they bore yeah, right in yeah, and they destroy yeah. the crop. That is, the, those chemicals, those dusts are no longer available. So as far as I know, I can double check this, but um, I think you just have to, get that crop and move it somewhere else and you know just have it once those maggots are in the ground you're not going to get rid of them you, you can't sterilize that soil but you uh -huh. can move the crop if possible yeah uh charlie uh, mm. how is franklin frank is under the weather nah. and we miss him immensely don't we but uh yeah. i'm hoping he'll he'll be uh back with us uh, soon, but for now he's uh, yeah he's just can't can't get into the station and can't do the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's he. We're hoping he'll be back. <laughs> give give and my we'll best. Certainly... I will give for sure. Best. I will. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Take okay, care, Charlie. Warner. 
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look up onion maggots. It's been a while since I looked them up, but just to clarify that what I said was correct. I think it was correct though. What I just told Warner Warner about something you know boring into your underground uh, onions or leeks, as the case may be. All right, we have. Let's see. I can see we have uh, Wilma on the line from Holstein. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I'm wondering about changing some things in my front yard, and I wondered about a Rose of Sharon. Yeah. Now, it's on the east side, and it does get full morning sunshine okay. till about, oh, I'm guessing one, two, depending on the time of year. Okay. And I'm wondering if Rose of Sharon would be suitable for that area. It, yeah, I mean, they, they, Rose of Sharon, which is a form of hibiscus, a hardy hibiscus, it will take full sun. So they'll take that southern exposure where they're out in the sun all day. But as long as it's getting as much like you said, you know, sun's coming up at six, seven in the morning and it's it's getting that six hours plus sun. That's plenty because Rose of Sharon does need that that bright light. Remember, though, they can get fairly big. Uh, unless you stay right right on top of pruning, they they're not super wide plants, but they can get quite tall. So uh, recognize that you may need to do some pruning to keep the the shape and what you want it and the size what you want it. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, why not? Lovely plant and should do fine where you live. Um, and the, the closeness to the house of planting it, like the beds that are there already are probably. From the foundation, about, well, no more than six feet, and the one is probably not that far. Now, is that, would that be still suitable to plant one there? And there's a sidewalk, like it's basically covered foundation and, and walkways and driveways, so it's a contained area, basically. Right. Um, yes, it should be big enough or wide enough. Two things. Don't plant the Rose of Sharon under the eave. Make sure that when it does rain, the plant is going to get water on it. That's always one of the challenges with foundation gardens. So gardens that are right up against our foundation. There's that couple of feet off the foundation where it is just bone dry. There's just no, yeah, no light. Yeah. Well, the front ones aren't as bad. I know the side one on the south is terrible for that. Right. Exactly. Uh, but I think it, the eave is a little wider on that side than it is yeah. across the front. And right. the other issue is the, the dryer vent comes oh, right. out at yeah. one corner of one of the beds. So <laughs> it's always something. <laughs> right. So try to not plant the Rose of Sharon where the dryer vent will be blowing on it. Because that it, you really you don't want anything um woody. You don't want any tree or shrub getting that warm air blown on it in the winter because that mm -hmm. will kill the plant. Yeah. You want whatever you plant near the dryer vent, make sure it's something that like black eyed Susans or something that grows up all summer, uh, but uh, dies down below ground over the winter. So that's not going to be affected by that hot air. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And 
And okay. also, when you mentioned, you know, you've got the foundation of the house, you've got the walkway and the driveway, so it's a very controlled bed that's sitting in that space. That will be a, a fairly, it's east, you said, which is good. It's a little more gentle in terms of the heat, but it could still be a fairly dry spot because you've got all the sun beating down on the hard surfaces, heating up the concrete, the asphalt, the, the all the various walkway, and then radiating that heat into the soil. So you end up with a nice warm bed, which is nice in the spring, but also a tendency for it to, to dry out more quickly than you might want it to. So just remember that. You may have to water more often than you would expect. Well, we do have uh, two downspouts on either side of what both beds have a downspout into them and we have an extension that we run across the beds at this point mm-hmm. from the uh, downspouts now this year it's been great but i know some years it can be dry enough that they don't even work but we yeah. have to go with the flow I guess, so you've been getting some rain at your place, have you? Oh, we've been, yes, yes. We've really been getting rain this last month, yes. Right, yeah. And I I sympathize with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we had almost uh, an inch of rain uh, last weekend. Yeah, Yeah, you and most of Ontario, it seems like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I sympathize because I know it's not fun when you're, trying to water such a large area too well exactly so we've got the water truck uh, ordered up to bring us another 3200 gallons next week because <laughs> our well continues to dwindle away it's not recharging at the rate we would like it to because obviously there's not a lot of groundwater in mm, my area mm, yeah I, uh, water is a necessity for everybody and plants yeah. included exactly exactly yeah. all right nice chatting with you wilma thanks for calling Thank you very much. Bye. And uh, yeah, and good luck with uh, Rose of Sharon. Nice late blooming shrub. We do enjoy it because it changes up our gardens when we're tired of seeing all the same old, you know, spring summer flowers. And then all of a sudden, bang, you get that nice late summer flowering of the Rose of Sharon. And they come in all different colors and sizes. And there's single flower forms and double flower forms. So really quite a quite a nice plant to have and, and a pretty tough plant. Certainly should do just fine in Holstein. Um, it looks like, I'm just double checking. Yeah, we've got some some time on our hands still here. So I will quickly just tell you the numbers again for anybody who wants to call in. Uh, I do have a couple of callers on the line who I will be speaking with momentarily. But the phone number, if you'd like to speak with me, is 416-360-0740 or 866-740-4740. Now, when we spoke with Warner, he didn't suggest his recipe at all, but I will remind you, go to charliedobbin.com, go to the top where it says tips, and there are some recipes for success, including Warner's tomato recipe, (laughs) just just so you know. Uh, we uh, We have a call in from Oakville, and it's Ken on the line. Good morning, Ken. I've got... Uh, a angel trumpet has appeared in my garden. Oh, yeah. As you know, the angel trumpet, they mm. bloom at night, they die the next day. What I'm wondering is, how can I collect the seeds before the squirrels get them? <laughs> do, you, do you find that they are uh, taking away the flowers and the flower buds after they're finished? 
Well, no, um, the, the, the flower wilts away, and and uh, the blue, the blossom itself actually droops towards the ground. Uh-huh. Now, and last year, when it first appeared, I put a plastic bag, I wrapped it around the flower when it had passed, and uh, the squirrels dug through the plastic bag to get the seeds. <laughs> really? So this year, what I've been doing, I've had about seven or eight blossoms so far. I've mm-hmm. taken the blossom after it's drooped, and I've planted it. And I've planted probably about four of them, and each time the squirrels dug them up and uh, took the blossoms away. <laughs> so now what nice. I've done is I've planted them in a flower pot and kept them in the basement. But I, I, I don't know if that's going to generate a flower or not, or a new plant. So I, I, I Googled it, and mm-hmm. um, they were not quite clear on how to collect the seed. So right. I thought, well, I'll phone, I'll phone the expert. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> so I'm just doing a quick look because I've never collected the seeds. <clears throat> the proper name for angel trumpet is Datura, so D as in dog, A, T as in Tom, U, R, A. So Datura is the genus of the plant that we're talking about. Uh, it is typically grown as an ornamental, um, and I didn't know that the squirrels would like the seeds so much. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to got my head turned away from my microphone as I'm looking at my other computer here. Uh, the thing about Datura seeds is that, <clears throat> I'm not even sure, imagine you could buy them, but you want to collect them. You you don't want to buy more seeds. You want to work with the seeds you've got. Well, the, the Google told me that uh, I could buy the seeds, but they're about eight bucks a piece. Right. Because, you see, that's the thing about, mm, you know why. <clears throat> so they are obviously quite popular, but the thing about Datura is it's considered a poisonous plant. It's, it's also considered hell, yeah. a psychoactive plant, especially the seeds um, So and flowers. So eating seeds or flowers, which is why I'm amazed the squirrels are doing this, because the squirrels are mammals. I don't, mustn't affect them the same, because uh, if you eat the seeds or flowers, you can have all kinds of respiratory depression, uh, arrhythmia, so your heart starts palpitating, fever, delirium, hallucinations, uh, anticholin, colon, whatever that is, colonergic, <laughs> anyway, some strange symptoms there, some, some reactions. So psychosis, uh, even death, if too many seeds or flowers are ingested by people. So why the squirrels want them, I do not know. Um, I would do, as you said, though I would avoid plastic bags. Can you tie, you know what a lot of times people do when they're trying to be, like, trying to be very specific about maintaining the genetics of a plant is they will do the pollination themselves so if it's a self-pollinated plant, then the plant will just self-pollinate itself. But they will wrap like little muslin, so little cheesecloth type bags over the flowers, tie a little knot in the bag. And that way the flower is not open to other pollen or in your case, open to uh, squirrels. Now, these flowers are a little bit, bit bigger than many flowers. But still, you if you could fashion some kind of a protective covering over the flower so that the seeds would form on the plant but avoid plastic and of course paper won't work because out in the rain etc it would just turn to mush so you need something that allows air and sun to penetrate but does not allow squirrels to penetrate Uh but i did find like this year um there's one that just blossomed the night before last uh it started to die away the next morning Mm -hmm. and 
by the end of the day, it was starting to uh, reopen again. <laughs> and it's, usually, <laughs> and it's, it's in the past. It's been the sun that kills them. Right. I guess yesterday it was cool and uh, it didn't really die until it reopened last night. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The temperature has a huge impact for sure. So the cooler weather and it has been so hot that the flowers would be very short lived with the the super high temperatures we had. But now with a little cooler, flowers should last a little longer on all of our flowering plants. But, you know, the natural process of the flower slowly, you know, doing its thing and because... When when the flower there, the ovary is at the very base of the flower, and that's where the seeds are going to form. But pollination has to take place first. And once the pollination takes place, there's still a process, a physiological process for that seed to form and be at a point where you can actually save it. And when you do save it for next year, of course, that's when you'll save it in a a glass jar or a paper envelope or something. Uh, You protect from heat. You protect from light. And, of course, we protect from moisture when we're storing seeds. So most perfect container for seed storage is like a a colored glass jar, like a dark brown or, you know, dark colored glass jar because you've got the darkness, you've got the dry, and you've got the full control around moisture and humidity when they're in a jar. Uh, So, But that's later once you've collected and you've, you know, mature seeds. You've got to get those seeds to the mature point before you can really collect them. What I've done, too, is I have um, cut the flower off after it's, after it's expired, and mm-hmm. I suspended it in the basement, in the dark, over a tin can, hoping that the, the seeds would drop out. Mm. Um, I don't see, know if I that would, worked or not. Yeah, I'd be more inclined, if you wanted to try that kind of a route, if you're going to cut off a branch with a flower on it, don't put it in the dark. Take it in the house, treat it, put it in a vase or something. Give it some water. Uh, because you want you don't you're not trying to stop the physiology in the plant. You're trying to keep it going. So you want it, for that seed to mature, you've got to have that plant actively respiring and photosynthesizing and doing all important things that plants do. Uh, but you're trying to keep it the plant safe from the squirrel. So really, honestly, if you can set up some kind of a little barrier around some flowers, that would probably be your best bet. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to cut them, bring them in, put them in a vase, let the flowers go through their process, and hopefully. Seeds will be available once uh, you know plants been inside. The cuttings been inside for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't go straight into the dark though. So you're thanks, Ken. Good luck with that. While the flower is still in bloom, yes, when you suggest I cut it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? There could be somebody listening who has a a better angle on this than I do, or better suggestion. So if there is anybody listening and has a, a thought for Ken, please do share. You can phone us, or you can also email me. My email is C, my first initial C for Charlie, dot Dobbin, D O B B I N. So C dot Dobbin at M Z Media. Dot com. So always happy to read your emails. I actually have a lot of emails here I could get to, but I'm sort of uh, enjoying listening, talking to some of you on the phone for now. So we will be back up after a very important break, but we have Barb on the line calling in from Aiden. So hang in there, Barb. We'll be right back. Okay, thank you. Bye, Ken. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right. 
I was just reading up a little more about uh, datura and all the ritualistic uses for the plant. It's got quite a long history for medicinal and and yes, um, associated with witchcraft even. So keep that in mind, Ken, as you're trying to save seeds from that uh, datura. So in the meantime, Barb is joining us from Aden. Good morning, Barb. Morning, Charlie. Um, I was just wondering how successful is like a solution of uh, vinegar and Epsom salt and and Dove soap, like with killing weeds on the um, in the lawn and between like driveway cracks. Okay, so uh, good question. Two different things though, because when you're killing weeds in the in the cracks uh-huh. in the driveway or between interlocking stones, you can use a, a strong solution like a vinegar. Uh, horticultural vinegar, of course, is a stronger solution of acetic acid than just the vinegar in our cupboard we put on our French fries. So do purchase horticultural vinegar and it works amazingly well particularly on a hot sunny day you spray that stuff onto any little weeds that are growing in your hardscaping and you can watch those weeds turn yellow right before your very eyes Uh, and then if necessary if they're old big you know heavy duty weeds then you might have to spray them twice but they it does work however you use that same vinegar in your lawn and oh yeah it'll kill the weeds in your lawn but it'll also kill your lawn so that's the challenge it's these are non-selective herbicides there is uh, i believe you see so i would be very careful spraying anything on the lawn that is not designed to kill weeds and not kill the lawn so back Back in the day, before 2008, we used to have access to a herbicide called Killex. Mm-hmm. And Killex was something that we would spray on our lawns and it would kill the broad-leaved weeds like dandelions and plantain and chickweed and all those those weeds, but it did not kill the grasses. The, now, it wouldn't kill crabgrass because crabgrass is a grass, but it would, so it didn't kill grasses, it just killed broad-leaved. Uh, now, what's out there now, I believe, bug be gone. If you look at the package, read before you buy, look at the picture and read. I'm pretty sure that, I'm not bug be gone, but weed be gone is designed for you use in lawns i'm pretty sure but i'm I'm not positive because i haven't sort of been in a garden center in a while so see what's out there there will be some kind of a herbicide available that theoretically will kill broadleaf but not grass plants Uh also keep in mind that the younger the plant is the more effective any of these herbicides are so getting onto our weed destruction early in the season is always the best way to do it so whether it's little tiny just germinated seedlings or you know newly sprouted dandelions whatever the case may be this the younger they are the more effective we are with our sprays okay like that would uh, kill like clover in the lawn too likely uh the weed be gone likely i'd have to double check by looking it up but but you could do the same thing if you just google weed be gone see what it, it's it's for and if, or get into a store and read the package and see what it's for yes clover is considered a broad-leafed plant so if the herbicide is designed to not kill grasses but it will kill broadleaf plants then yes it should kill clover but if it's clover that's been there for years and years or it's you know 
very established clover, it will be very difficult to kill because clover has a very deep taproot and that taproot keeps it alive. Keeps it alive through drought, keeps it alive from herbicides. So uh, if you really, really hate your clover, after a night when your lawn is moist, when the soil is moist, you can get out there with it with a good weeding tool, even a big long screwdriver and proceed to pull things like clover by loosening around the root and then pulling straight up because you need that taproot to be um, removed in order to kill the clover. So if it's young, young clover, yeah, easy to kill. Old clover, much harder to kill. My clover here, we are so dry, believe it or not. My very tough clover is is alive, but it's all shriveled up and you know looks like it's dead because it's so dry here a um, oh. little bit of rain and things will green up again and i'm not i am a fan of clover i don't like i i don't pull clover i actually planted clover for, oh. in my lawn so but a lot of people don't like it <laughs> when you say horticultural vinegar is that like the extra strong stuff or yes it, it's twice the uh, um solution it's twice as strong as the vinegar that we have in our cupboards okay like you can just buy that in in the regular grocery store no no you have to buy it in a garden center or a farm supply store so it's called horticultural vinegar it might be available like for example i remember i bought something and it's like the little picture was it showed like the little graphic on the front of the on the package showed the spritzing of a spray onto something like a green weed growing in between paving stones and it was called pavement clear or something like that and that if you look at the active ingredient it will say it's i believe it'll say it's 12 percent acetic acid and acetic acid is vinegar oh okay but like is, would you just use uh, the vinegar, the extra strength uh, vinegar, then plus the the Epsom salts and the and the and the Dove soap, or just the pure vinegar then? Yeah, you only need the pure vinegar to kill weeds. Oh, okay, you don't have to. The Epsom salts doesn't really do anything. It feeds them. <laughs> it what? It feeds them. Epsom salts is magnesium and sulfur, and it actually will feed the weeds. It's a it's it's used as a fertilizer, as oh. nutrients. So I would not be using Epsom salts to kill weeds, not unless you're using huge high quantities, and then you're just poisoning your soil. So you don't want to do that either. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm not a big fan of a lot of a lot of the homemade recipes from the web. There's a lot of them out there, uh, different soils, different parts of the world, different plants. These things all work differently. I'm I'm a bigger fan of uh, of using, um, you know, something like uh, uh, that comes in a package. But read, read, read the instructions. So I'm. Um, thanks for calling. Appreciate uh, your your call, Barb. And um, good luck with that. It looks like we have one final message from our sponsors, and we'll be right back after that. This is Zoomer Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM. Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And not just everything floral, but everything 
herbaceous and woody and green and every color of the rainbow. Yes, indeed, it's the garden show. And we have just a few more minutes left. And it looks like we have a couple of callers on the line waiting to speak with me. Uh, let's now go to Lorraine, who is calling us from Cambridge. Good morning, Lorraine. Hi. Um, I have a, a about 35-year-old um, lilac. It's not, um, uh, um, I think it's just a wild lilac, but it's been quite heavy, uh, quite healthy. Um, it, I found last or last year I trimmed it all up, all the cross, cross branches and rubbing branches and all the bottom, because it's like several stems bushes. Uh, it's a bush with several stems. And um, it looks a lot cleaner and clearer. And this year, a lot of those branches all came back up again. Suckers, I guess they are. Now, can, am I doomed to that's how it's going to be? Or can I? what could I do to clear it up again without it coming back all the time? Well, you're right. That is a challenge because uh, a, a plant of, of that age. Yes, I wondered about the age. Yeah, we'll we'll send up suckers. Now, particularly if it's a so-called, you know, like a wild lilac, which is like the species lilac, not the French hybrid lilacs. They have a tendency, no question, it starts with one plant. And before you know it, you have um, a whole forest of lilac because of all the sucker growth. And um, the way to properly prune a lilac, believe it or not, is to allow a couple of suckers to grow up and to over a period of time, remove the big old stems, the big old branches, because now with that age, you've probably got some very hefty uh, growth on that plant. You know, the flowers are probably, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet above your head. So not something that you can really enjoy. We like generally to keep the lilacs down at nose height so that we can enjoy them and, and prune them or take them in that sort of thing. So, I mean, up to you, 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 if you, if you do the sucker growth removal in the spring, there is a tendency for the plant to be invigorated by that pruning. If you remove the sucker growth now, uh, you have, it's better, uh, you have less chance of the suckers growing back quite as vigorously. So up to you. If you want to say, I don't like those suckers, then get on them now, uh, cut them off at ground level, uh, um, or the alternative is let some of the suckers grow and then think about bringing down some of the bigger, heavier uh, bark branches, bark-covered branches. Okay. I just wanted right. to let you know that um, last year, I, I every year I dumped my um, um, earth with uh, that I had grown on ever into the gar- into the garden, and I had grown lettuce. And this year, I had an absolute field of red and green leaf lettuce. It just <laughs> came up <laughs> just from the seeds in the in the yeah. soil. I know. I love that. It's like who needs to buy seeds, or even save them? They save themselves. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thanks for calling. That's great. I like stories like that. So um, uh, lettuce coming up like crazy from seeds. Of course, I've had um, tomatoes. We've all probably had tomatoes come up from tomatoes that drop. And then the next year, the seeds come up. I've had uh, mango pits germinate in my composter. So if I wanted to grow some mango trees along the way, I could have done that pretty easily. But uh, mangoes are tropical plants, and I just don't have a greenhouse that could take a mango tree. All right. Just, we have one, I think we have time for one more caller. Heather is calling in from Brampton. Good morning, Heather. Oh, good morning, Charlie. 
Um, yes, I just caught the tail end of one of your 1030 snippets through this week, and it was about the application of corn gluten. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised. I think you said I, I didn't catch it all, but I wanted to apply it this weekend. But I heard you say crabgrass doesn't go on till spring. I was just right. wondering if you could quickly go over that for me. And I'd Sure. And we'll now. talk about this in the spring for sure as well. So crabgrass is growing now in many places in in Ontario and North America. It was it was uh, flowering and will go to seed uh, in the next month. It's uh, each plant can produce up to 60,000 seeds. And then the crabgrass that, that's currently out on the in the ground will die. It is an annual plant. It will die in the winter. The seeds will sit there all winter. And in the spring, when the conditions are right, moisture is available, uh, temperatures are the right temperature, all those crabgrass seeds will start to grow. So that one plant now could be as many as 60,000 plants growing right there in your own front yard. That's when we get out the corn gluten before those seeds start to germinate because corn gluten is sold in a, with a fertilizer, a spring fertilizer, and it'll say right on it, you know, fertilizer and weed preventer. And that is a fertilizer with this yellow corn gluten mixed in with it. And when you put it out, it um, stops any seeds from germinating, including crabgrass seeds or dandelion seeds or or your turf grass seeds you, that you have put out. So you have to do one or the other. It's either corn gluten or top dressing and overseeding. You don't do them both at the same time because the you're going to spend money on grass seed and then it won't grow if you put it out within six weeks of the corn gluten application. And the time on when to apply corn gluten is when the forsythia are just starting to bloom. So the yellow shrubs are just starting to crack some yellow color. It's corn gluten time. And that'll be next spring. And for sure, we'll talk about that more next spring. So thank you, Heather. A good question and something for everybody to put on their calendars. And I got to go. It's been, a, it's been great. Thank you, everybody. Great calls, great questions. Keep them coming. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.